Behold our triune God. Page 968 in the back of your songbooks, we have the Westminster Shorter Catechism. We looked last week at the question, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And now we look at five and six. Who is this infinite, eternal, and unchangeable God? Page 968, question and answers five and six. Are there more gods than one? There is but one only, the living and true God. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Then let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians 13. Closing instructions to the Corinthian congregation, page 1153. 2 Corinthians 13. This is the word of the Lord. This is the third time I'm coming to you, writes the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while I'm absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.
brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Who is the one true God? Some call him the man upstairs. Some call him the higher power. Some think of him as a sovereign faraway deity who at a distance is pulling the levers of the universe just to get his way. These are wrong views of God and they're blasphemous and they're dangerous and they're damaging to the great commission. Sometimes we treat God as a math problem. One plus one equals one or one plus one plus one equals one. And that's our summary of the doctrine of the Trinity that there are three persons in one God. That too is blasphemous to think of him as a math problem, as a theological construct. We need to delight congregation in the Trinity as a friendship of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are together one and the same God. A friendship of three persons. And this triune God calls us to enter into his friendship, not not to become deified, but as human beings, through Jesus Christ, the gateway, to enter into that friendship and find total security. And that's the way the Bible teaches the doctrine of the Trinity. That's the way we want to think about it and hear about that this afternoon. When Paul ends 2 Corinthians with those great words, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. He's saying to the Corinthians, you guys have lots of issues, lots of needs, lots of problems. But you have a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who's enough for you. So go to him, rest in that eternal friendship of the triune God. Put your life in his hand. And that's what we're being called to do. Your life has needs. Mine does. Our church has needs. What do we do? The benediction. Trust this God and entrust your life to him. And he will supply all the grace, the love, and the fellowship you need. So we want to see here the unity of God. The three persons are one God. The fellowship of persons, the one God, is three eternal persons, friends. And the security of the saints, thirdly, in that truth. The unity of God. Question five, the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, are there more gods than one? There is but one only. The living. I want to focus on that word. The living and true God. There are many false gods, dead gods. There are many false versions of God. This is my version of God. People will say, that's an idol. That's not God. But there's only one true God, and he's the awesome God who inhabits eternity. The good God who wonderfully designed and created the universe, made man in his image, and then in his great love sent his son to save us from our sin, and then sent his spirit to gather us in. That's the one and only 
true God, the living God. But sadly, many have a very wrong view of God and rightly hate him. Their wrong view, their wrong God, hate him. Listen to what atheist Christopher Hitchens wrote. He died a few years back, but he wrote this. I think God would be awful if it were true. If there was a permanent, total, round-the-clock, divine supervision and eavesdropping on everything you did, that you would never have a waking or sleeping moment when you weren't being watched and controlled and supervised by some celestial entity from the moment of your conception to the moment of your death, that would be like living in North Korea, he wrote. I think God would be awful if it were true. Well, I agree with Hitchens, if that's God. If God is the ruler, the Stalin in the sky, the big brother. Such a God, an impersonal sovereign controller and supervisor, if he did exist, is very unlikable. More like Satan than the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who would even want such a God to exist? But sadly, atheists like Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins learned a very wrong view of God, very impersonal view of God in their Christian homes when they were young and they rejected him. What's the problem? They don't know the true God, the only God, the living God, the three-personed God, that eternal loving friendship of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that one God. I recommend a book, Michael Reeves, Delighting in the Trinity. It's small, it's weighty, and really good. But he writes, living under the true God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is not like living in North Korea at all, but like living in the household of the kind and caring father that Christopher Hitchens always wished for. And so, for many, God is an impersonal, distant, non-caring, abstract, sovereign deity who's running the show remotely and has no connection with your life. That's Aristotle's unmoved mover. If you've studied any philosophy, you've run into Aristotle. He viewed God as the unmoved mover. He's so perfect that he's unwilling to give time or attention to anything or anyone besides himself because he's contemplating his own majesty and we are simply irrelevant to him. The totally disconnected deity. Totally non-relational deity, the unmoved mover. That's not God. That's an idol. Nothing could be further from the truth. There's a true God is what? The living God. And that word living is often used in the Bible to describe him. Paul says to the Thessalonians, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. First Thessalonians 1 verse 9. The God who's alive He's relational, he's active, he's personal, tri-personal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A rich intersection 
of divine personalities. Or listen to how 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16 describes God as living. Paul says, we're the temple of the living God. And then he, he describes that this way. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Living God means he lives with us. He walks with us. He gives himself to us as our God and he takes us as his very own children. Living. Here's another description of living God. First Timothy 4 verse 10, Paul says, we've set our hope on the living God and then describes him this way, as the savior of all people, especially those who believe. He's the God who's so concerned for the lost, for sinners, that he's come down to us, taken on our own flesh and blood, taken our place in sin and judgment, stood there for us under his own divine wrath to save us. What a God, a North Korean dictator? Absolutely not, a savior who calls and welcomes all to come to him for life, joy. But nowhere is his living character seen more fully and clearly and beautifully than in his triune persons. That the one true living God is the eternal living Father, the eternal living Son, and the eternal living Spirit. The holy, 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 blessed Trinity. The living Eternal God is a deeply, deeply personal and relational God. The Bible describes, and we read it in Psalm 27 at the beginning, as beautiful. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Psalm 43, my exceeding joy. I want want to go to God to my exceeding joy. He's my joy. Psalm 16, the one at whose right hand are eternal pleasures. Wow. The God who's love, who delights in mercy. Now here's a God to want, whose sovereignty and majesty we can wholeheartedly rejoice in and find security in. This is the only true God. He is love. And therefore he's lovable. And he is love because he's a three-person God and he can be loved because he is the three-person God. And so Moses said to Israel in the famous words of the great Shema, Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He's truly worthy of all your love. But why? Because he is love. He is love. Think about it. If God, the one true God, were just one person, there'd be no one for him in eternity to love. And love for one another would not be central to his being. But because he's a trinity of persons, a threefold friendship as one God, he's always had love for another. That's not abnormal to him. That's inherent to him. Therefore, when he calls us to love the Lord your God, he's calling us to imitate him because he is love, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, be imitators of God and walk in love. 
That's what it is to be an imitator of God, to imitate his holiness. The one true God is the living and loving God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's crucially important, brothers and sisters, that Christians be clear about which God we believe in. Not in any God, but in this one. The only true God is the living God. A fellowship of three persons. Not a generic God, not the man upstairs or a higher power or sovereign deity or an undefined God of some sort, but the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's eternally loved his Son by his Spirit. And that's crucial that we don't feed the atheistic monster by advertising wrong conceptions of God. I hope we never say things like the man upstairs or the big, the big guy. It's blasphemy. It's false advertising. That's the dictator from North Korea. He exists eternally in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We want to see that secondly. He is a fellowship of persons. How many persons are there in the Godhead? Question six. There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. So who is this one true living God? An eternal fellowship of three persons. And when Paul ends his letter to the Corinthians, he acknowledges they have a lot of shortcomings. They have a lot of weaknesses and needs and a lot of issues. If you look at 2 Corinthians 13 verse 11, you see those. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. You see stuff there, don't you? Comfort one another. You see stuff there. Agree with one another. You see stuff there. Live in peace. You see stuff there. And the God of love and peace will be with you. So there's a lot of trouble and pain and a lot of need for fixing. And a lot of need for growth. You see between the lines there. But that's not the last word in 2 Corinthians. Aim for restoration. See, guys? No. Aim for restoration. And then he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The last word is, the triune God is enough for you in everything you're facing as a church and as individual believers in all your needs. He's enough for you. And that benediction teaches you that God is three unique and distinct persons who work together in fellowship with one another as one God. Father, Son, and Spirit aren't three modes or masks or appearances God puts on when it suits him. That's the ancient error of modalism. It's a heresy. That he's just three appearances, but those are masks, and the Father isn't really God. That's a mask he's wearing. Or the Son, it's just a mask he's wearing. No. You look at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Son of God is coming out of the water and above him the heavens break open and the Father sends down his spirit who descends upon the Son as a dove and the, and the Father's voice booms from heaven. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. I'm well pleased. I ple I'm pleased with him. There's the three persons. The living God. And they know each other and they're talking together and they have fellowship with one another. 
The love between the Father and the Son in the Spirit is not new to them. Jesus said to his Father in his prayer in John 17, 24, you loved me before the foundation of the world. So this love didn't start when Jesus became a baby and then grew up in, in the flesh. You loved me before the foundation of the world. This is eternal. Well, not the three different modes, nor are these three persons three separate gods who fight and compete with each other for first place, like the pagan myths. The ancient heresy of tritheism or polytheism. No, these are one God, as Jesus said in the Great Commission. Go therefore, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name, not names, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons equally are the one name. So what do we read in the Bible about the relationship of these three persons within God? We've already mentioned that God says, be holy as the Lord your God is holy. And what's the most important holiness command? It's the two great love commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if that's being holy as the Lord your God is holy, guess where that love comes from? Guess where it starts? It doesn't start with us. Loving God, but God loving us. We love because God first loved us. It starts in God. It comes from God as eternal love between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And John says in 1 John 4, 7, and 8, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He's not only eternally loving, but he's eternally outgoing. We've got an outgoing God. He's not a solitary hermit who hates to relate and communicate. I just want to be by myself. No, he's always been Together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. His Son is called the eternal Word. That sounds like talking, doesn't it? And it is, the image of the Father. And His Spirit is the eternal what? Breath. That sounds like talking too, proceeding from the Father and Son. And the Father is the one who speaks. So you got the Father speaks, the Son is the spoken, the Word, and the Spirit is the breath, the speaking. He's relational. He communicates from eternity before we were in the picture. He's inherently social. He loves company within himself. Think of that in Genesis 1. God creates man in his own image. What does he do? He talks within himself. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So there are the Father, the Son, and the Spirit planning together, agreeing together, working together as one God. But they're not three gods. They're one. For the next verse says, so God made man in his own image. The three persons are one God. The one God is three eternal persons talking together, communicating, planning, working. So when this loving, communicating, outgoing God from all eternity 
loves us and talks to us and fellowships with us. That's not God being abnormal. That's God being who he is forever and inherently. And he desires to go out with that love that he has for his son, to share that love with us. You see that very clearly when he made our first parents in the garden. That goodness of God in the garden, that is love. He made them in his own image, put them in a beautiful garden, gave them every blessed gift, and then walked with them and talked with them. That's love. He made us to share his eternal love and friendship with us in his covenant to bring us into that friendship as his beloved children. We turned our back on that love. And then he sent his son in our flesh to carry that curse. That curse really that belongs to love when love opposes what is injurious to truth. Because even wrath belongs to love. Wrath is when God's love meets evil. That too is his love in action. For he loves his son and loves the world for the sake of his son, but hates all that oppose and reject his son. Yet loves all who come to his son. Again, Michael Reeves in Delighting in the Trinity writes, the wrath of the triune God is not a character blip or the nasty side of him. We sometimes say he's love, but he's also wrath. And we've just put those two against each other. No. It's exactly the opposite, writes Reeves. It's proof that his love is sincere, that he truly cares. If you can't get angry at anything, it's because you truly don't, don't truly love anyone. Think about that. If you can't get angry at anything, it's because you don't truly love anyone. His love is not mild-mannered and limp. It's livid, potent, and com- committed. And therein lies our hope. Through his wrath, a living God shows that he's truly loving. And through his wrath, he will destroy all devilry that we might enjoy him in a purified world, the home of righteousness. And in his love, he calls all, even the worst sinner, to come to his son. So that instead of wrath, you get to share in the love of God that he has for his son. Think about that. In his love, He hates all that opposes his son, but then he puts all that opposes his son on his son to perish for us so that if we believe in Jesus, all that wrath is gone and we enter into the love of God because he loves all those who trust in his son. And then there's the spirit. He's not a third wheel who interferes with the father and the son. Not at all. The Spirit and the Father have deep communications through the Son. We've been studying that a little bit in our senior catechism class in Romans 8 when we memorized 26 and 27. It says there, God sent his Spirit to live in us and the Spirit helps us pray when we don't know what we ought to pray for or to pray for as we ought. And then it says, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deeper for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit. So 
the Father who searches hearts knows exactly what the Spirit is thinking as the Spirit lives in us and listens, pays attention to our groanings and our sighs. Father knows the mind of the Spirit. He knows all the Spirit thinking. And then it works the other way as well. The Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2, searches everything, even the depths of God. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So God is incomprehensible. You cannot know all that he's thinking, but there's one who can, the Spirit. So the Father knows all that the Spirit is thinking, knows the mind of the Spirit. The Spirit knows all the depths of the incomprehensible mind of the Father. And this is why God has his Holy Spirit write the Bible. Because he knows all that the Father's thinking. And is a completely trustworthy author. Oh, there's no God like our God. This is just a tiny glimpse of his social life of intimate love as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How good and loving he is in his three persons. It's not a theological speculation, but the very joy and essence of the Christian faith. The splendor of the three in one. Oh, how could we not delight in such a wonderful, beautiful, holy God of love? Life with him and in him is not North Korea. It's protection, peace and security and joy. It's restoration to glory and beauty. Just a moment now. Thirdly, the security of the saints. This friendship within God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this social life of knowledge, communication, love, is the protection of the people of God. Because when God says, I will be your God in his covenant of grace, and when he says, I will take you as my children. He's inviting us into this friendship of the Trinity to share with him, not in his deity, but in his blessing, his blessedness. This God, he comes to us in our lostness and weakness. He says, come to me. Put your life in my almighty hand and you'll receive just the right care you need to love you back onto your feet again. To love you through your sin and trouble and love you all the way home to glory. That's why Paul writes, finally brothers rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you and then he gives that benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Charles Hodge writes, this comprehensive benediction includes all the benefits of redemption. He's saying to us, come to Jesus for his grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to cover all your sin, to heal all your wounds, to cover all your weaknesses. Everywhere you lack, Everywhere where you've done wrong and you've wronged somebody else and you've wronged the Lord, come to Jesus for grace. Jesus will take you to the Father for all the love you need. 
to surround you and protect you and carry you and turn all things for your good. To walk with you step by step all the way home. And to receive the grace of the Son and the love of the Father. He gives you the Holy Spirit. Because through the Spirit, the Father and the Son live in you, the Bible says. And through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, you have access to all the love of the Father and all the grace of the Son. You have access to all of God and all his mercies and all his blessings and all his help. It's wonderful to live in the hands of the triune God and to have his eternal grace and his eternal love and his eternal fellowship. We need all three persons in our life, people of God, and the good news is that God in all three persons gives himself to you to share his life with you, his three-personed life. Through Christ's grace, you have all the Father's love and in the Spirit's fellowship. And these are the most blessed, loving, powerful, and comforting words anyone can ever hear. God is with you. Amen. Father, thank you for the great blessing of being share, able to share by your grace, your covenant of grace in the fellowship of the three persons. That your eternal love and communication and intimacy and fellowship and knowledge you share with us and you take us into that through your son by your spirit help us to see in you the answer to every need every weakness every problem every trial we're facing right now that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God in the spirit's fellowship are truly ours we thank you in Jesus name amen